you all, so this goes to you and to the team for all the hard work we put in day in and day out. <laughs> we about to get it in, baby. Let's get it. Welcome to our kind of pod, a special UW football-themed episode of the Boyd Meets World podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Boyd, and joining me, as always, except when he doesn't, is Michael Stanton. Uh, Stanton and I had the task of breaking down the 35-31 to loss to the Oregon Ducks in Husky Stadium on Saturday. Uh, we talked about the uh, shortfalls of the defense, what really happened once the Huskies went up 28-14 to in the third quarter. Uh, Chris Peterson's record in big games. Yeah, we, we went there. Uh, and then we uh, talked about how this offense is actually kind of good, um, despite a lot of the uh, the acclaim against it. Uh, that plus some national scene talk, uh, the state of the Pac-12, and our great cat and OKG of the week. As always, enjoy. Stanton and I, uh, I tried to replicate the feeling I had um, at around 7 p.m. on Saturday when I just felt horrible. Tried to replicate the feeling for this podcast to really capture the misery by uh, destroying a 14-inch uh, steak and cheese sub. And I think nice. I think I went too far. I feel way worse now than I did then, and that's saying something. Uh, first of all, fourteen inch sub. That's I've never heard of anything over twelve inches. So that's it's big you time. Know, my ears perk up. Yeah, on that. Um, I think just preparing for this podcast kind of gets me there. I had to relive. I mean, as you probably did too, relive our own personal hells by rewatching this game. So um, yeah, just in a gloomy state uh when we're about to what we're about to talk about which uh really should really should uh be great great listening for our uh, listeners out there (laughs) yeah get get fired up fans um (laughs) so see me because you were there i wasn't and for all intents and purposes it Uh sounds like there was way too many Oregon fans there but i guess that's not too surprising um and that home field advantage wasn't uh wasn't quite up to snuff but what what do you say about that um, I'd say it was still pretty loud, but there definitely was more organ fans or more opposing fans than normal, which I guess that's not necessarily necessarily surprising. Um, the one issue that myself and my dad had, at least in our section is, um, you know, all those tickets up in, the, in that area are season tickets and there was still a decent amount of duck fans around there. So mm. our issue are season ticket holders either a just having a season ticket and selling them online or b selling these tickets specifically and not vetting um who they're selling it to and my dad continued to bring up a great point during the game that there is a you know uh uw run ticket exchange online that allows you to sell your tickets at face value uh to other husky fans and that was not the case so we had to deal with uh, with Oregon fans around us, which was infuriating, as you could expect. But that was kind of the case for everybody, and probably worse in other sections. Um, but yeah, it wasn't wasn't enjoyable, especially given the outcome. Hmm. Well, that's too bad. Uh, there was one Oregon fan in my presence um, during the the uh, just raucous BC NC State tailgate that I was at before before the game oh, on Saturday, um, and we maintained some some civility there, so that was good. Um, all right, let's let's get into the football part of things because that wasn't great either. Dogs are twenty eight to fourteen, pretty early into the third quarter, and from that moment, Oregon ran thirty four plays for two hundred and forty seven yards, 
scoring touchdowns in three of their four drives. And the Huskies ran 24 plays for 100 yards and three points and two three and outs in that span. Um, basically, this first half and really first drive into the second half, this offense looked about as good as it has looked. Um, in the Stanford game, or in the, sorry, the, uh, BYU game, the Arizona game, second half coming to mind where, uh, things are moving really well. Run game was going, passing game was hitting big plays down the field. Uh, and then at the flip of a dime, it becomes the Stanford game where the Huskies offense just can't move, can't sustain drives, uh, keeps their defense on the field. And that's how it goes. Um, so from, that point on, Huskies end up losing 35-31 after, you know, like I said, being up 14 points um, about five minutes into the third quarter. Not great uh, because this game for the second straight year was really in the Huskies' hands and uh, it wasn't, a, you know, this this kind of instantaneous choke moment that you think of. Uh, no Miss Peyton Henry field goal, nothing like that, but it was just kind of a slow, as you said, just a, a hemorrhaging uh, over the second half. Yeah, I mean, you had a feeling as the second half kind of played out early in that third quarter that touchdowns were going to be necessary. You couldn't really trade, you know, cash in on field goals. Oregon scored three touchdowns on their four offensive drives in the second half, so obviously we needed to match them, and we were unable to do that. Um, The drive where we ended up kicking a field goal, which was near the end of the third quarter, that's when... Uh, things started to feel I started to feel uneasy it was a, still a 10-point game there but Oregon went down and scored uh, a touchdown to make it 31-28 and uh, we ended up punting on the following drive and then it was you know you know it was it was theirs for the taking essentially or at least it seemed like it um, didn't those those few drives after the opening touchdown drive of the second quarter um, the, the field goal drive, actually, we seemed to be moving the ball pretty well. We started on our own 35. We were able to get it down to Oregon 7. Um, this is after we got through one of the uh, head-scratching um, Wildcat calls on 3rd and 3, um, which we'll talk more about here in a moment. Um, got it down to the 7, as I mentioned. Uh, false start. Uh, had to settle with a field goal. So once again, red zone troubles, uh, scoring in the red zone for this Husky offense. And the next two drives were three plays uh, for one-yard punt, three plays for six-yard punt, and then a turnover on downs yeah. uh, to ultimately end the game. So it was kind of, like you said, hemorrhaging. Uh, it was a slow and painful death in the second half. Yeah, so when the Huskies score that field goal, obviously you're leaving four points on the on the board. That's that's a it's been an issue for for this team uh, throughout the season. But um, of their scoring opportunities, which uh, you know Bill Connolly and football football outsiders define as as being uh, past the opponent's forty, they scored in all five of them, scored touchdowns in four of them. Um, so they did a good job in that regard, better than they have for for many many uh, sure. instances this season. Um, but just really from that 31 to 28 point, um, when you're still up three uh, after Oregon scores, just the there's 14 minutes left in the game, and the Huskies game plan game just just the the game plan that they had offensively really just kind of molted into this um, you know very conservative run it out type play, and that's it's just it, it there was still so much time, and the defense had so much trouble tackling at that point. 
Um, that you know there was there was not going to be anything that once you give the ball back to Oregon that stopped them from doing what they wanted to do all game, which is run the ball, uh, make easy throws for Herbert, uh, and just kind of it's it was unfortunate because for for much of that game you saw some really good stuff offensively that we'll talk about, but um, yeah, just the ing- aggressiveness leaving was was tough. We talked about last night over text um, that yes, the twenty eight to fourteen collapse is is tough, but. Uh, this Husky team had Oregon on the ropes early in that game, up 14 to seven, forcing an Oregon punt um, after going up a touchdown. Um, and then you get third and seven the the, the other way back, and then a snap goes over Jacob Eason's head uh, to end that drive, which is unfortunate because on the on the Ducks' very first drive, another snap goes over Justin Herbert's set head, uh, and instead of that being a drive killer, and like I think you said, they'd be facing a third and twenty. Uh, Asa Turner runs into Justin Herbert as he's sliding uh, for an unnecessary roughness call that gives them the the ball back. Um, so just just some some luck there, I guess. But um, I don't know. There's just just so many opportunities for this team to really put this one out of of reach, especially early. And I mean, we've seen in Husky Stadium in recent years, thinking back to that that uh, Friday night Stanford game in 2016, where that was just a no contest within 15 minutes of that game. And I think the Huskies had Oregon on the edge like that and couldn't convert, and it just became way too comfortable um, down the stretch. Yeah, and you mentioned errors that week. They were kind of self-inflicted errors. I felt we, um, not to take away from Oregon, um, but I think we kind of beat ourselves in this one. As good of a team Oregon is, I feel like if we played to our, our standards, we definitely could have beaten them. Um, and that speaks to the opportunities we just completely missed, uh, both in the first half and second half on offense. Uh, for instance, I'm thinking back to a Kamari Pleasant drop around our 45. He had tons of space to run upfield. That would have, you know, moved the ball easily into Oregon territory. Instead, that drive ends on our 37 with a punt. Uh, that was actually our first drive of the game. Um, so missed opportunity there. Um, and then along those lines, uh, you mentioned the Eason snap over the head, loss of 19. That was on third and seven on Oregon's 44. So you were kind of getting into that uh, that area that you just mentioned right, with the, Bill Con- the, Connolly the, inside the 40. Yeah, and also just go no-go of, of if, even if you pick up four four yards on that, that might be a fourth down conversion opportunity. Exactly, yeah. Then you didn't – so you're in two-down territory, and eventually, I mean, with that play, you weren't. Uh, the next drive, second and three on UW's 37. You got holding on Hilbers, which basically kills the drive there uh, because you're working with you know long yardage there. Um, and then, then later in the game, uh, again I'm going to mention the Wildcat and 10:23 uh, in the fourth, third and two, uh, we run Wildcat with Kamari Pleasant for a two-yard loss, and that essentially you know ends that drive. Um, I think there was also on our final drive, second and six. Yeah, second and six on Oregon 38. Eason took a 12-yard sack. Then we also had a false start. Yep. Uh, in the next play, now we did have a 20-yard gain after the fact to get the fourth and one. But th- that's not a situation you want to be in there, obviously. Mm-hmm. And this is after going 37 yards on five plays. So the offense was moving pretty efficiently, uh, which was a change for that second half, but it just absolutely killed us to lose 17 yards on back-to-back plays there. Yeah, yeah, just just a, a lack of poise there, I think, um, from from yep. all parties, um, both on the field and 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 coaching. I would think 
um, towards the end of that game. Let's talk about the Wildcat because it had to happen at some point. Okay. Um, I got multiple texts from from friends watching the game. Uh, you you it was included in that Charlie Penner um, saying, "Dude, the the Wildcat thing is just not not working." Um, and it's it, the dead right. I mean, this game it was it was literally zero for three in terms of effectiveness. Uh, but I think what's most frustrating is that on the first Husky scoring drive, um, it was fourth and one from the nine, and the Huskies called a really interesting play. Um, it was kind of it was a, a, a shotgun. Uh, option from Jacob Eason to Savon Ahmed, really drawing the defender in. Uh, once the defender came in, then a great pitch to Ahmed. He scores on that play. Uh, mm-hmm. The nice thing about that play, and, and yes, it's it's in the red zone, so it's everything's bunched up a little bit. Uh, but because you have Jacob Eason the shotgun, there is a threat even on fourth and one uh, that the Huskies might throw the ball um, and spread the field and, and make you cover the entirety of the field there. Seven men in the box on that play, and then you get one on one with Savon Ahmed outside with his speed. You take that any day. Savon Ahmed gave Oregon fits out on the outside last year as well. Um, so then you go Kamari Pleasant on on in short yardage situations. In, in comparison to that, um, Kamari Pleasant is not the guy who has been taking those. He took them a little bit last year when Miles Gaskin was out. That wasn't Savon Ahmed's role. Um, so it's, that's not really a, a fair one to one there. But that has been Richard Newton all season. Pleasant takes it, and then uh, in that situation you're talking about the, the third and two on the second-to-last drive, uh, nine men in the box. There's zero vertical threat there, um, and that's not in the red zone. So there's, you know, you put Jacob Eason in there, and then you make the, the Ducks cover, um, you know, the whole field instead of just focusing and saying, okay, let's just penetrate uh, the A and B gaps here um, and just call that good, and that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. After the game, you have uh, Chris Peterson in what has been kind of an interesting quote um, that people have have assigned very various levels of surliness to Peterson. There, he says that we've been really successful. Basically, why during the Wildcat, we've been really successful the entire year when you play the percentages. That's why we called it. Um, that's fine. Huh. Percentages uh, are with Richard Newton as the yep. <laughs> as the guy there. Uh, they're also with Sean McGrew as kind of the secondary back in that. And then they're also with Chico McClatcher, uh, who is the jet sweep guy in those scenarios. Um, in that second, that, that play we're talking about, the third unsuccessful Wildcat play, uh, you have a backup with uh, Kamari Pleasant instead of Richard Newton. Malik Braxton is back there because Sean McGrew is not there. Uh, and then Andre Bacellia is there instead of Chico McClatcher as the jet sweep guy. So... I don't think you had any percentages for that. Not only that, but you also had the percentages that Oregon had already seen it twice and stuffed it out both times because they knew how to how to defend it. Um, because the Huskies had been so successful with it earlier in the season uh, that you you know you basically put tendency on film. Oregon was ready for that, uh, knew how they wanted to defend it. That was proven in the game, um, but then also proven in the, just the sense that you just didn't have the the guys to run it. And I don't know. At a certain point, when you have Jacob Eason throwing as close to a, a you know a, a gem as he's had as a Husky quarterback uh, and you take the ball out of his hands in those that situation uh, yep. that was that was troubling to me first of all that response I mean I mean from Peterson you're going to expect that response but that's like saying uh, let's start Dylan Morris at quarterback and ex- expect him to have the same result as Jacob Eason like it just isn't comparable Mm-hmm. Uh, you're talking right. Kamari Pleasant or R- Richard Newton. Richard Newton obviously runs with a more ahead of steam than Kamari Pleasant does. Kamari Pleasant is your four-string running back. Yeah, Richard Newton beat him in camp for a reason. Exactly. And you just you just spoke about it. Um, the main point here, 
is you're taking the ball out of a future NFL quarterback's hands in high leverage situations in the biggest game of the season. So um, in my notes, I just wrote, what am I missing here? <laughs> and I'm, I don't think I'm missing anything. I don't think you are either. I think who's missing something is Bush Hamden, um, who's missing the fact that this was not successful for the first two times. And I'm pretty sure my text to you was literally on the first attempt when we tried in the first quarter on third and one. Like, that's not going to work. It didn't. Um, and my question here is going back to that first quarter one. We we have we luckily did get the first down on fourth down with a Jacob Eason sneak up the gut. Why wasn't that just called on third down that that play up the gut with Eason? Um, just the QB sneak is successful nine times out of ten. Um, I'm someone who thinks that you should be able to get one yard or half a yard or whatever, no matter what. Um, I would have liked to see them run that type of play instead of a play like the Wildcat where you're starting out in the gun. So you're already – I know that you get somewhat of a head of steam, but you're already you know, four yards behind the line of scrimmage at best. And everybody knows what you're doing because it's a running back taking the ball. And Jacob Eason isn't – out split out as a wide receiver so he's not really a threat either um so it's just really poor everybody in the stadium knew it was poor play calling uh and they continue to run it and it was just maddening because i feel like they took the game in some respects out of jacob eason's hands well literally they did <laughs> yeah um and just it it wasn't our best it wasn't our best attempt at winning this game by that play call exactly and and you know there's a lot of injury things that, that go into that obviously all the the backfield pieces in that wildcat are missing sure um by that point Aaron Fuller's not there there's some lack of dependability in that but um yeah I'm I'm just firmly in the camp that uh there wasn't any reason to to lean on that play based on how well it was going and just how well uh the Huskies have been and been going the, the the two best players on offense that game were were Savon Ahmed and and Jacob Eason and neither of them were involved in that play um, and that's that's just unfortunate for for a a, a season swinging moment like that one um, that uh, that that's just the the basic stuff that we that we ran there I I uh, I will be disappointed if I if I see Wildcat again this season and I don't even care if it's Richard Newton that's taking the snap because <laughs> see, I don't I don't. I just don't like it in general. Yeah, I mean, we've we've talked about this before. I think last year, just uh, there's parts of it I don't like the the um, having like Jake Browning at the bottom of the of the screen essentially for for the <laughs> for the the Miles yeah. Gaskin Wildcat. Like, I mean, it, it, playing ten v eleven. Yeah, that's that's fine. Um, or, or that wasn't fine, and that was frustrating. Um, they, there's just you know we we haven't really seen a full package out of it. It's just a, a barreling ahead to keep a drive going, which has, has usefulness. Um, especially, you know, it just kind of puts Richard Newton in the, the most direct way possible. He's also fumbled out of that, 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 uh, that package before. Um, so I don't know. I, it, a yeah. lot of, a lot of it is, is, you know, can this team really not be in short yardage situations? Can they get to, can they get first downs in, in two plays instead of three? So they're not in that. Um, I'm fine with it as as being a a part of it, but definitely on full at, at full strength and not uh, in the the uh, the game's most pivotal pivotal moments like yeah. that. Yeah, against a I, really I really good defense. Yeah, I guess if it's in a low leverage situation, maybe not on third or third down, which is where they ran it every single time. 
uh, I'm fine with it if Richard Newton's running it, like first or second down, sure, whatever. One one thing I that I don't understand is they basically motion jet sweep on that play every time, and I, I can't remember us once actually handing it off to the guy running that jet sweep motion. Yeah, they, they've, uh, hit, they've hit Chico a couple point? times on that um, this season. But, not, but rarely, I would, I would say, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I would just like to see them disguise it a bit better because I feel like it's so expected what they're going to do there. Or right. so, you know, it's easy right. to anticipate. And if, if you're um, going to, to you know, have that as kind of a read play, it's like, okay, Oregon is like, we are not expecting Kamari Pleasant to perfectly read how we're, how we're penetrating these gaps. Um, and, and make the pitch up to Bacellia there, even though Bacellia was snuffed out. They have, if you remember in the, the Rose Bowl, they had Miles Gaskin throw uh, out of that for, the, I think, the jump only pass. time they've ever done that with the jump pass, the Tebow pass. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, it's it's pretty straightforward what's going to happen there um, and allows Oregon to pin their ears back. And, and you know, just, just I mean, I think if you had asked um, you know, the, the Oregon coaching staff what would you like them to do here? They, they would have said Wildcat because it's easier to defend in, in, in terms of a scheme perspective, sure. not like it's physically easy to defend, you know, 11 guys trying to block you. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, we've, we've belagered that point and it's, it's just, it's, it's a bummer. Nope. You know, it's, it's one of those things that's just so obvious to so many people, but um, you know, to, to have that meet some stubbornness on from a press conference just kind of sucks of just like, man, mm-hmm. you know, should have, should have held that in Ten's hands. You know, that's all you have to say, and I, I don't think that there's anything yep. wrong with that. Um, if if you're if you're Chris Peterson, uh, the offense uh, for the most part actually had quite a day, as as we'll talk about a little bit. Uh, but the defense really failed, as I said earlier, uh, from that 28 to 14 point. Oregon really did what they wanted. Um, the defense as a whole had three tackles for loss, zero sacks, two passes defended, uh, no forced fumbles. Uh, there is no havoc uh, in that from a Bill Connolly sense. Just no no ability to really stop Oregon, put them behind the chains at all. Um, and uh, it was it was that was kind of the the downfall. Just couldn't couldn't keep Oregon um, off the field um, for for just their ability to just chew long drives. They had, uh, touchdown drives of ten plays, ten plays, um, maybe another ten play, and in, in in that that stretch in the second half, um, they they moved at will. Yeah, I mentioned self-inflicted errors on offense. Um, I would say even more so on defense, and this was somewhat the basis of my text to you last night uh, about just how maddening it was to rewatch this game. Um, you got that first Oregon drive where they snap it over Herbert's head. He has to scramble back, and old, honestly, we should have had him way back where he recovered it. But even where he slid, it was going to be third and 20 from the 23. Um, you have an inexcusable late hit. Uh, by Asa Turner to give them a new set of downs. They ended up scoring three plays later. I would venture to guess that we could hold them on third and 20 um, and at least hold them to a field goal there. So that's yeah. four points off the board. And, hey, there you go. That's the difference And their kicker the sucks. Game. So, yeah. yeah I mean, so there's the really difference knows. in the ball game right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oregon's touchdown drive on their first possession of the second half, 14-yard touchdown run, run by Habibi, uh, Cyrus Habibi Likio. Uh UW only had 10 players on the field. We were missing one linebacker instead of the usual two, and lo and behold, the run was right up the middle. Do we so know this, that's if, just... um, if the strategy of not having a linebacker on the field was actually to benefit the defense? Because the linebackers have, <laughs> have, uh, haven't really provided a whole lot all season. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> great point. It was Latu Latu running off the field when the ball was snapped. 
Um, but if you look, you have only Brandon Wellington in there and then Asa Turner's kind of up on that edge contained. So um, you're missing a Ariel Nagato or a Kyler Manu in there that normally would be, you know, rounding out that 11th player. So um, I just don't understand how you can allow that to happen in the red zone like that. Um, then you got Oregon's second touchdown of the second half. And this one's just as bad in my book. This is when they pulled within three points. Fourth and three on UW's 36. You have Micah Pittman motion across. Um, and Trent McDuffie follows him to signify he's in man-to-man coverage. Uh, upon the snap, Pittman switches back to the left flat where he began his motion uh, to catch the screen pass. Uh, McDuffie, completely unaware, continues to run to the far side of the field, assuming Pittman has motion across, all the way across, like similar to like a jet sweep. Um, at this point, Pittman is completely wide open, and they have numbers on that side of the ball. And uh, he goes down the sideline for 36. It's just like it's these mental errors that just can't happen. And I understand that two of those three uh, examples that I mentioned were were at the hands of true freshmen. But uh, we're what, eight games into the season now? Uh, and we're we're asking these players to be starters and play for this defense in a in a power five conference. I just you got to be better than that. Yeah. Those are easy, easy things to not, you know, to clean up or you know, to, to negate and, and they just didn't do it. And then lastly, um, something that it was like flashbacks of the Cal game with Marcel Dancy in the second half. Uh, I don't know why he didn't have any carries in the first half, but Cyrus Habibi Lakio just absolutely ripped us in the second half, 14 carries for 81 yards and a touchdown, three catches for 15. Uh, we just couldn't stop his change of pace from CJ Verdell. Um, and then, you know, we saw the damage he did. Uh, over those 81 yards. So I don't know what it was about him that was different than Verdell, but um, it was just as damaging as it was with Marcel Dancy in that Kalos earlier this season. Yeah. Um, Christian Capel from The Athletic, um, he, The Athletic, has has uh, data that is, is quite nice from Sports Info Solutions. Uh, they said that 113 of Oregon's 154 rushing yards came after contact. Um, and that was keeping, mm. or the Ducks broke a total of 13 tackles. Miles Bryant commented on that. He was he was guilty of a couple of those. Um, so you have you know some veteran mistakes. Uh, but going back to McDuffie, even the 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 uh, the, the Oregon's go ahead touchdown, the Jalen Red, um, he came across motioning from the the left side of the field to the right side of the field. McDuffie lost him in motion again. <laughs> Didn't you know? So you would have thought he, he would wow. learn his lesson, but uh, basically took a, a soft angle towards towards Red. Um, at the goal line, so giving Red way too much space, which allowed him to to pick up the yards to to get that touchdown. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that's tough. Yeah, it's a true freshman, but um, there's a bigger point here that you have to play true freshman because there's just there's not the depth there, and these guys will be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I like McDuffie. We've talked about his his talent. Asa Turner has has flashed at times, but um, those guys really struggled. Asa Turner was guilty of a couple of just RPOs just being completely torched, nowhere near the play, playing way too deep. Um, and Oregon's tight ends were able to get right in between him and Kyler Manu, uh, one of which leading, uh, I'm not sure if it was a touchdown, but uh, definitely deep into to Oregon territory. Um, and then the big big mistake you, you said earlier, the roughness there. Um, all of the, the kind of the run stuff uh, that they the run throughs that they had had used against Arizona that that um, that Kevin Sumlin talked about didn't really see any of that. 
Uh, Ariel Nagata goes from playing inside linebacker against Arizona and looking um, competent in it to just be, being an edge guy against against Oregon. Mm-hmm. Don't really know what happened in between that, those two weeks because he looked like the answer there. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Kyler Manu is playing a lot um, and constantly being swallowed up at the second level. Um, so I don't really know what the deal is. And, and you know, we've talked a lot about Bush Hamden uh, on this podcast uh, for for all of the offense's faults. Um, but, uh, but this was not a great defensive performance, uh, by the Huskies from a, from a schematic perspective. They just were, were not in the right place. Didn't really know how to handle a lot of what Oregon did of putting their blockers out in front of people. Um, and then from a personnel perspective and then, uh, and then just a tackling thing, like you're in the right spots and just not able to, to bring guys down. So yeah, it was, it was, it was not good. And especially as, as we talked about, uh, I don't know if I was super impressed with Justin Herbert. I'm, I'm actually more of a fan of his than um, than maybe some people think. He's accurate. Think he makes good good choices. He's got the got the frame can run. Um, but uh, you didn't make him throw any difficult passes downfield today or on Saturday. Mm-hmm. It was it was just all all scheme stuff where he has all day to throw and can wait something out and hit someone downfield um, in a wide open sense. But um, he was not you know, earning yards downfield because he was making really tough throws because there was no, you know, there was no pressure in his face to, to, to get that done. And surprisingly, he had a handful of throws that were just low poor throws, whether yeah. underthrown or overthrown and go figure the one, the one time we actually got pressure on him and we're hitting him as he threw it, he threw it, you know, on a dime uh, where you'd expect him to underthrow it there. But uh, yeah, I wasn't, I mean, four touchdowns is nothing to scoff at, but, uh, I personally expected more, um, given the fact he's been lauded as the potential number one overall pick. I I still think he's you know that cap- caliber of player. I just was expecting a little bit more polish on his game. Uh, that being said, it was obviously enough to to beat this defense. Um, really quickly on the Ariel Nagata Kyler Manu point, mm-hmm. um, I think it's interesting that you don't play Nagata as much uh, because you're working you're going up against position players or skill position players i should say of Oregon that are known to be very athletic or more you know more of a handful in that regard than most teams and then you're playing a a Kyler Manu who's easily a step down in athleticism than Ariel Nagata so i don't know what their what their thoughts were on that uh, especially after a really good game from Nagata last week against Arizona when he led the team in tackles. But, um, yeah, that one was a head-scratcher for me as well. Yeah, we'll see how that, that whole thing shakes out. But, um, but yeah, it's, at some point you got to put your, your best players in the field, and I thought that we had established after Arizona that uh, that Nagato yeah. was the answer there. But um, you never know with, with team politics and things like that. Kyle Manu is a guy who's, who's uh, worked hard and is well-liked, and I'm sure, in that, in that, uh, on that team. But, um, but sure. I don't know. Uh, third down, we do have to talk about this at some point. Um, the record of Coach Peterson in big games because it's uh, it's not great. There's been a lot that has been left in the field um, or left to be desired, I should say, with uh, with this team um, in, in big bowl games, obviously against Ohio State, Penn State, and Alabama in New Year's Six games. Um, but then also just, you know, there's there's been a, a, a missed opportunity um, and basically every season uh, that, that Chris Peterson has been the coach this year um, against ranked teams, just one and one uh, with the win against USC and then and then the, the loss to Oregon, obviously. Last year, um, you know, you lose to Auburn, Oregon, 
Um, and then Ohio State, basically your three chances against against really, really high caliber uh, opponents. You don't get it done. 2017, it's really just Penn State. You miss there. 2016, um, you know, it's it's you you uh, fall short against Alabama, uh, but you miss that miss. You know, USC ends up being a really top flight team this year. You 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 don't show up for that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's 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 got to be said. These are games that you'd love to win. Um, but I guess in the past, it's almost been like, well, he can't win the big game, but at least he beats the the games he's supposed or wins the games he's supposed to win. But then this year, losing to Cal and to Stanford, um, it's uh, it's it's just I, I don't know what the problem is. And this isn't like a diagnosis point. It's more just just illustrating that um, you know, there's there's at a certain point you want to play big boy ball, you got to win mm-hmm. against big boy teams, and that has not happened. Yeah, and that's a that's obviously a big game this past weekend. You're on ABC, nationally televised game, um, rivalry game, top 25 matchup. Um, as great as Peterson has been uh, for the Huskies since he's arrived, um, I just want to preface this conversation with I obviously have no um, desire to to uh, have Coach Pete replaced. I think he's like the best possible uh, coach for UW at this point in time. Um, but it would be nice for as much success as we had to win some of these big games because, um, I mean, selfishly, it's just it's it's just tiring to to go into these situations and pretty much never come out with a win. Now I know there's the games like Bama and the Peach Bowl where you're not gonna win that. Like you, I went into that just being happy to be there. I wasn't expecting to win, but it, I mean. There's big games. USC in 2016 comes to mind. 26 to 13 loss. You would have been undefeated entering the college football playoff. You might have even avoided Bama in that case. Maybe mm-hmm. you would have gotten to the three spot and you would have faced an Ohio State or Clemson instead, um, which I know that might not be the case this year, but at the time was an easier opponent than Bama in 2016. Um, the Auburn game, like you've mentioned last year, that was a loss. And then Oregon last year and Oregon this year. Um, I think another point to this, not only the big game, but in close games, Peterson's actually been rather poor, surprisingly. Uh, in his time at UW, he's 10 and 16 in games decided by 10 points or less. Um, to be fair to him, the last three seasons, all 10 losses that we've had have been by an average margin of 5.1 points. Um, and surprisingly, the biggest loss of Peterson's um, career, actually, or sorry, the, within those three seasons was Stanford this season at mm-hmm. 10 points. Um, the, the sucky part about it is basically every loss is a heartbreaker. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, I'd rather just lose by, you know, 21 in some cases. But, um, you know, you, you would you would hope that a coach like Peterson, who's been around the block so many times, would be able to prepare this team in close game situations, especially uh, m- many of these teams that he's had have been pretty experienced. He's He would have prepared these teams to close out those type of games, especially in the games where we're facing inferior opponents like Cal, um, like USC in 2016, uh, things like that. So um, I don't know. That's just been a struggle, and I feel like that's kind of what's stopping this program from being kind of – going over top of that barrier and being regarded as a program to a force to be reckoned with, so to speak on the national scale. 
Um, and we're just not there. We're just we're still knocking at that door because we just can't win these big time games that would really put us on the map from a program standpoint. Yeah, I think this year at BYU is probably the signature, you know, non-conference win of, of the Chris Peterson tenure, uh, which is, is, is just not there. I mean, you'll, you'll get some opportunities there with Michigan over the next couple of years um, sure. and, and in bowl games and such. But um yeah i mean one in four bowl games five and oh in apple cups must be said obviously those are those are yeah um impor- important wins and and you know we, we are very grateful for that uh two and oh in pac-12 championships you've gone into salt lake city twice and got it done you had the 70 to 21 win against oregon uh stanford at home 44 to 6 to really kick off that 2016 year um so but, you know there, there's this is not by any stretch of the imagination been an unsuccessful tenure it has been awesome no, no, and no. this podcast exists because this team is so worth talking about week to week uh which is something that you know it was not the case uh just <laughs> just you know six seven years ago imagine us doing this in an 08 season <laughs> yeah exactly um but wow. you know these are these are the problems that we have and and we've talked about this many a time and we talked about this after the rose bowl specifically of uh, mm-hmm. of you know these are the things you ask for for Christmas when when you have a pretty good team you know when you when you know your 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 family's rich you start asking for for nice things for Christmas because you know that they can afford them yeah. um, and uh, and in this case a win against a, a high caliber team would would be would be on that list uh, you no longer want to sit at the kids table you got to win some of these games exactly um, yeah and I mean that's that's a conference thing I'm sure Larry Scott would 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 say well who knows if Larry Scott actually cares about football but. Um, no. You know, John Wilner at least would say that uh, that you know Washington has missed opportunities to be a banner carrier for this conference uh, by winning those types of games. Um, yep. And you know, it, the more Oregon shows up in in this you know kind of tenure where both teams are pretty good, uh, Oregon might become that banner carrier. And you know, both teams have lost to Auburn um, in big non-conference games, but uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's frustrating for sure do have Utah in two weeks. And so that's, that's uh, another one to, to add for the, the big game pile uh, one way or the other, yeah. however it goes. Um, ESPN's bowl projections right now have UW playing in the holiday bowl against either Iowa or Michigan. So opportunities there. I would love that. Uh, yeah. I would totally relish that um, to get that the started. Classic matchup to play Either one, to play a power five team. Um, and uh, you know, it's sometimes it's, it's nice to be slotted in a bowl game against a team that, that uh, is, is at your level. Um, and, and, you know, for, for everything we've, we've borne out this season, eh, the Husky level might not be as good as, as we had hoped for this year. So that's, uh, that is what it is. Let's move the fourth down. Um, I do have to say that this was probably Bush Hamden's best game as a Husky play caller. Um, I liked the aggressiveness a lot. Um, as listeners of this podcast know, I am a rather large fan of when the Huskies use play action. Uh, they did it uh, well and did it effective or did it often um, against Oregon. Like I said, scored four touchdowns and five scoring opportunities. I thought Jacob Eason was great um, on standard downs, which are uh, from you know first and ten or or shorter, second and seven or shorter, uh, third and four or fourth and four or shorter. Jacob Eason was thirteen of sixteen for one hundred and fifty four yards. Um, so basically, when the offense, when the defense doesn't know if you're going to run or pass. Uh, he was phenomenal, uh, but even on passing downs, which is any anything that I described, which is longer than that, so longer than first and ten, longer than second and seven, so on and so forth, uh, he was 10 of 14 for 115 yards. Thanks, Bill Connolly, for those stats. So he was great uh, in both respects, whether the off- whether the defense knew that he was going to throw 
uh, or not, which uh, goes back to our Wildcat point earlier. But uh, those play-action plays, I mean, the, the Jordan Kitchen ball, like it just looked like a Nerf ball, like one of the ones with the the, you know, the, the tail <laughs> the on whistle. it. Yeah, that you throw uh, at recess in fourth grade. Um, just the ability of that ball to flatten out and, and just reach a, a, you know, just a vertex that is not on the, the TV screen and come down right into Jordan, Jordan Chin's hands. Uh, that's just a thing of beauty right there. And, and his arm talent was, uh, was, was really special on Saturday. I want to make sure I heard you correctly. You said third and four or fourth and four and shorter. He was 13 for 16. Uh, yeah. So basically on, on plays where uh, the Huskies were in a situation where it was first and 10 or shorter. So first and nine, first and eight. I don't know if we had any of those, but okay, uh, okay. second and seven or shorter, uh, third and four or shorter and fourth and four or shorter. Any of that group. Uh, or what's called standard downs, and Jacob Eason was 13 of 16 for 154 yards, which is okay. uh, oh. really, really good. And one of, one, the, one, of those, go one of those would be um, the Puka Nakua play at the very end of that game. So exclu- excluding that play, he was 13 of 15 for 154 yards. Got it, got it. I mean, that would kind of compound the, the head-scratching uh, calls of the Wildcat, but... I, I think I, I agree with you that this was a good game from Bush Hamden, uh, like 80% of it. Yeah. There was some questions, obviously, with, like I just mentioned, the Wildcat. Um, I thought we were a little too conservative in the second half. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we were up by 10, we ran the ball a lot. And I know that you're trying to run out the clock, but you're still 15-plus minutes away from 0 0 uh, I thought that was a little too early to kind of sh- close up shop. Um, but I will agree with you that the first half um, especially seemed really good. Um, and that's given the multiple kind of self-inflicted errors that we spoke about previously, um, where this game could have been instead of 28 to 14 to begin uh, after our first drive in the second half, I you know could have easily been 38 to 14 type thing if we had just executed a bit better in the first half. And at that point, I think it's over. Um, we you were ta- uh, talking about the offense. We have to mention Savan Ahmed because mm-hmm. uh, I feel like he proved us wrong uh, with us saying previously that he can't run between the tackles. I think he did a lot of his damage, although he did damage on the outside. He did a lot more damage than normal in the tackle box. He had 24 carries for 140 yards and the touchdown. Um, he's up to 662 yards, and he's averaging 5.8 yards per carry on the season with seven touchdowns. I can't remember what Miles Gaskin's average was last season, but I think it's right around where Savan Ahmed is currently at 5.8. So that's obviously encouraging, especially given the fact we don't know when Richard Noon's going to be back, so the ability that Simon Ahmed could take those between-the-tackles-type carries, at least on Saturday, was uh, good to see. And then lastly, I love the involvement of, of the receivers in the passing game this weekend. Um, I thought we the amount, of, you know, the amount of receivers we saw actually catch a pass was pretty impressive. Let me count. One, one two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine players caught a ball. That included Marcus Spiker getting his first catch, that for 20 mm-hmm. yards. Terrell Bynum had six catches, which is just crazy, you know, amount of targeting for a player that's basically been non-existent before last week. Um, yeah, and my bold prediction to that would be, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Terrell Bynum um, 
Thrall Bynum, Puka Nukua, and hell, Sp- let's throw in Spiker, get more uh, receptions than Fuller, Vicelli, and McClash would do in the second half of the season. It wouldn't necessarily, necessarily surprise me. Yeah, well, considering uh, Michelli and, and and Chico are good for about a combined one and a half a game, <laughs> that'll sure. that'll be that'll be good. Um, yeah, it's an interesting interesting bet there. Uh, yeah, Savon Ahmed, seventeen of his twenty four carries went at least four yards. Uh, he's really developed a style that I think really came out in the USC game and how he scored on that very long touchdown, the eighty nine yarder, um, where it's just r- patient early and then just burst. And it was it was effective against Oregon. Uh, didn't hit the really the big one, but lots of, of six seven yard gains uh, from him, which is great. Um, and and so you know just just a maturation of his talent. Um, still haven't really enjoyed how little they've used him in the passing game as a downfield threat, given his speed. Uh, but whatever, um, you know, you'll live with that. Uh, some other play action highlights from from the game. Obviously, the Jordan Chin touchdown. Uh, the play action shot to Hunter Bryant to end the first half, where Bryant made a really, really nice play on the ball on the on the the, uh, the near sideline, at least from the the TV angle, uh, where they got him matched up one on one with the safety, made it uh, a throw that the the safety couldn't get to, and Bryant maybe could get to. He pulled it down, um, and then on the field goal drive, another big throw uh, to to Kate Odden up the middle, a guy who. <laughs> probably just cannot be used enough like he everything you throw at him he catches three big gains on him um so yeah he's got to have his just breakout day where he is you know truly used as, as, a, as a downfield threat for uh, lots of the game uh the other throw i want to highlight the touchdown pass from Eason to puka nakua um was a good play by by nakua to catch it obviously a, a bullet coming his way and and to, to run in the end zone didn't have to do too much uh, but the throw from Eason, he threw it like two feet to the right of the uh, the outside linebacker's head. And really, if you look at that play, um, that outside linebacker had every every right to that ball based off of where he was. But the ball just came so fast at him, he couldn't even react to it. And then it went to Nakua for, for the touchdown after that. Um, so just Eason's confidence in throwing that. Um, and his blatant disregard for for the uh, the linebackers present there is a is a testament to his talent. Um, and saying all of this just makes me more sad that uh, the game ended the way it did because uh, he he just was special on on Saturday. Yeah, I think I'm I think I might have texted you this mid game that that touchdown to Nakua doesn't happen in previous seasons with yep. Jake Browning just because it's not a pass he would have been capable of making or it's just uh, it's just, just a it's a it's a completion and that's it stops there yeah that too but it got to him so quickly that you know he was able to break it for that touchdown um g- just going back briefly to the Savon Ahmed uh average comparison to Miles Gaskin I just ran the rough numbers here quickly uh at through eight games last season, Miles Gaskin was averaging 4.6 yards per carry to Savon Ahmed's uh, 5.8. Uh, Gaskin had 167 attempts to that point, whereas Ahmed has 114 attempts. So obviously there's a little bit bigger sample size, but that just goes to show you that Savon is actually being more effective with his carries than than uh, Miles Gaskin was. And um that obviously is a good sign because you've heard me say it on this podcast that I think Miles Gaston is arguably the best player to play at UW ever. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's it's been a great season so far for Savon. I'd expect him, you know, he's only about 300 and 
and 40 yards away from going over a thousand yards i'd expect him to reach that with you know what five games left or so yeah so we'll see what happens yeah he's uh he's on a tear um for all its faults i'll leave you with this for for fourth down here uh uw's offense is seventh in S&P plus um in throughout the year which is pretty insane um for how much we yeah. aligned uh, some of the play calling decisions um, that they're seventh in terms of a, of an you know explosiveness and, and efficiency metric, um, despite leaving so much on the table. Uh, the defense is 38th, so and, and that's the lowest that it's been uh, at least since 2015. Uh, Huskies were fourth defensively in S&P Plus last year, 13th in 2017, fourth again in 2016, uh, and then 27th in 2015, the Jake Browning freshman season. So. Uh, this defense is struggling at a, at a level that we haven't quite seen um, in recent years, which is uh, which is too bad um, that, uh, you know, just the, the timing of everything as we've talked about how good these defenses have been. Um, if, if those could have been matched with some of the, the, the arm talent we have from this season um, and playmakers we've had on offense from from last seasons. But that's college football. You know, I thought you were saying seventh in the Pac-12. Nope. But nation. you mean seventh in the nation, which nation. which. At, just imagine if we had a play caller offensive coordinator that was like just solid, you know, like the, the 2016 season when we had Tedford as an analyst uh, helping out Smith. Just imagine if we had that. Uh, I feel like this offense would be just that much better. Um, so, yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, let's back the pack. Um, we're weak in the Pac-12, UW, Oregon, notwithstanding. Uh, UCLA hits the uh, Larry Scott random uh, outcome generator uh, for for games <laughs> and uh, beats Stanford thirty four to sixteen in uh, on the farm. No KJ Costello or <laughs> Davis Mills for Stanford in that one, uh, but uh, for UCLA, a team that has had all kinds of ups and downs to double up Stanford um, is just so weird after what we saw from Stanford a couple weeks ago or what we saw the Huskies do against Stanford. Anyways, Utah plays ASU. They put the clamp down on Jaden Daniels and company. Twenty-one to three for Utah. Beave me. Twenty-one to seventeen. Oregon State gets it done in Berkeley. Uh, pull away with a late fourth quarter touchdown to to take uh, victory away from Devin Monster uh, and the Cal Crew. Uh, Wazoo Damn rebuilt. Yes. Well, for for now. Um, Made of, made of mostly birch, so um, not a, not <laughs> a, a stable foundation in, in no, Oregon State, no. but uh, but you know. They'll, they'll add some pine in there. Wazoo goes yeah. into or beats Colorado uh, 41 to 10. As we warned you, they would feast on the Colorado pass defense. They did exactly that. Uh, and then USC made Khalil Tate do that thing where he's really bad. Uh, one more time, uh, they be- <laughs> they get him benched 41 to 14. Uh, USC gets it done over Arizona. This week, UW is off. Uh, the Beavers are also off. They're sharpening their teeth, heading in for the second half of the Pac-12 slate. Sounds like I'm more of an Oregon State fan than I am a UW fan when I talk like that. <laughs> uh, Arizona plays at Stanford this week. ASU goes to UCLA. Cal at Utah. Uh, and then Wazoo at Oregon. And the Cougs have won four straight against Oregon. Uh, kind of Kind of hard to believe. And, yeah, I'm with you. Why not? There's no more, like, let's worry about how this goes conference-wise or anything like that. Uh, as we said, just embrace the chaos. Um, Light it on fire. Yeah, set it, it set it up for a better Apple Cup. We won't play Oregon the rest of the season, but we will play Wazoo. So why not have Wazoo have a little bit more uh, more steam for that game um, than <laughs> than, uh, than you know they do right now? National scene last week: Illinois wins their first Big Ten game since the Juice Williams era. No, it's not actually true. Uh, that was a long time ago, <laughs> but they did win. Good reference, though. <laughs> Thank you. 
they did lose 24 straight conference games before beating Wisconsin uh, on a last-second field goal last week. Uh, that Wisconsin fraud train eventually hits a stop, as we all predicted. Uh, Penn State spills some hot chocolate all over Jim Harbaugh's khakis, gets it done 28-21 in Happy Valley. Uh, and then BYU, led by our pal Baylor Romney at quarterback, ah, uh, throws yeah. two touchdowns to Matt Bushman, a guy who also got a lot of airtime with his podcast, um, Heroes of Podcasts Past, those guys. They beat Boise <laughs> State, uh, breaking the Broncos' undefeated record this season. Um, that Good was alliteration a, there. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and then this week we have... Ohio State uh, against Wisconsin. They host host Wisconsin. They will most likely pants them on Big Nude Saturday. Uh, ah, yes. Speaking of pantsing, <laughs> LSU's quarterback Joe Burrows' tookus was exposed on national nice. television last week. Uh, they will play Auburn um, in a, a top ten matchup in the SEC. Who knows what they what they get from Auburn? Um, LSU is kind of riding the the train right now. It looks like they're going to be tough to stop until they get to Bama. Uh, but who knows with uh, with the Auburn crew, uh, and then Notre Dame at Michigan. Uh, Notre Dame hopefully hoping to fire just some more paint at the Great Wall of Khakis in uh, in Ann Arbor. Uh, yeah, I mean Harbaugh might really start feeling some heat if he can't get this one done. Um, and then uh, Pant State, sorry Penn State against Michigan State for some uh, East Lansing warfare. Um, with uh, with the Big Ten's undefeated three now down to three undefeated teams in the Big Ten. Uh, all on the line this week. Um, I forget who Minnesota plays, but I think they're still rolling. Um, yeah, we're, we're pretty pretty good slate this week, right? I, not not, yeah. not the worst. I it is, and I'm very conflicted because I've considered not watching any college football mm. this weekend and yes. just like living a normal life and seeing what that's like. Just doing the into fall. the wild. Yeah, like like oh, like let's go to maybe like go to Ballard and go drink some beer or like. You know, I don't know, but uh, I know I'm going to wake up on Saturday and be like, I need my fix. <laughs> so um, I'll probably find myself back at the bar watching these games. Um, I'm, I'm kind of surprised Michigan is a favorite in that. I know they're at home, but just knowing they can't ever win the big game, I guess it is Notre Dame. So they have to crumble here at some point soon. Um, so I don't know. That's a weird one. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty solid week overall. Yeah, yeah, not bad. We're getting into the uh, every game matters uh, for for these ranked teams, um, you know, for the the single digit teams at least part of the season, which is always fun. Uh, all right, great cat. This one seems yeah, there's lots of culprits this week. I would say my first one is the the Oregon coach. I refuse to learn his name. The Oregon strength coach with the mustache. That guy yeah. just get him off of my screen. I am so done with that <laughs> that steampunk you know squat rack d-bag get out of my face i'm it tired is of you. only because his mustache he would just be every other he might strength be coach if it wasn't for his mustache he I'm might convinced. be great, i mean but yeah his the yeah. must the mustache the the, incess- the incessant uh you know small small polo choices um i'm, I'm done with that guy we need to beat him Beat Oregon for yeah. the sole purpose of, of shutting that guy up. I'm. This brings up an interesting point. Uh, are all strength coaches never cold? Because I don't think I've ever seen a strength coach wear a jacket. I, th- um, I think they, they just are really selling out with that tight fit polo. Yeah, I think most of them have been told they must wear something. 
they they are they get off the bus wearing no shirt and someone from the SID <laughs> depart you know just just says hey Chad it, let's come on go back to the equipment room get something on yeah. here and then they're like they cut from you- the same cloth cloth as Randy from uh, Trailer Park Boy <laughs> good reference there <laughs> um, yeah that's that's mine the Wildcat would be another one um, yeah but uh, hey the the great Wildcat how about that. <laughs> Um, for, for me, I have Oregon fans being their typical bumbling idiot selves, um, you know, cheering when a Utah player went down injured this weekend behind us, yeah. uh, screaming on defense when you're amongst the Sea Husky fans from the 300 level, making literally no impact on the game. Uh, you're more so just annoying everybody around you, um, saying it's really quiet in here when it's a TV timeout. Uh, just some interesting one-liners from the guys behind us. So, uh, great cat for for me is definitely them. And then number two, uh, the kickoff penalty for laying down oh, in yeah. the end zone, uh, which was uh, deemed unsportsmanlike contact conduct. Um, from my research, it isn't listed as unsportsmanlike conduct at all. Um, although the rulebook does have an article in it that says, "quote unfair acts." That says an obviously unfair act not specifically covered by the rules can result in in an unsportsmanlike conduct foul. Uh, my question to that is, how can a rule book be so ambiguous? Um, two, I don't really see it as unfair. And three, Oregon State literally did this last season against WSU, and there was no penalty called. So um, somewhat infuriating knowing that UW planned to run this all week and then did so, and then we're obviously penalized for it when they, I assume, vetted the rule book similar to what I did last night and couldn't find any trace of it being uh, illegal. So that is my other great cat of the week. Yeah, but at least every other penalty um, in, in football is is very cut and dry of when it gets called and when it doesn't, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, I like mean, pa- I, pass I'm pretty sure they um, have perfectly figured out. So that's that's fine for them to be a little ambiguous on this one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, frustrating. Right? Yeah, we, we never even talked about the, the fourth and three play. Uh, it was bang, bang. Husky should have been in a much better position to, to win that game other than that play. Uh, I'm not too concerned about it, but, I mean, Oregon's defensive back put a knee into Nakua before he could the, could catch that. And that, that's just I, that's just the truth. I actually haven't even seen it yet. Yeah. Um, I didn't even get to that point on rewatching the game. I turned it off before that. Um, I couldn't tell from the stands. Um, I yeah. was that. I mean, the, I was ready. I mean, I was walking out the door after that, so I wasn't waiting around to see a replay or anything. Um, I, back to the back to the laying in the end zone thing. Um, a rules official on the broadcast apparently said it was like you can't do that because of deception. And my response to him was, "Isn't that what you're trying to do on literally every play in the <laughs> game of football?" is trying to, you know, deceive the opponents so you can gain yardage. So, yeah, frustrating all yeah. around. Yeah, and, you know, every every team, every home team can paint their end zone the exact same color as, as their jersey and, and do the same thing. So I, I'm not I – don't, I don't understand that. I think the refs are just like, whoa, that was way too cool. We've got to flag that. Um, <laughs> Huskies end up scoring on that drive, so all's well that ends well. But, uh, but yeah, that was a bummer. Um and I was watching the game at a bar on mute, so I had literally no idea what was going on. 
um, as to, yeah. to what what the problem was because you couldn't really even see what what uh, Fuller and McClatcher were up to there. We also didn't talk about Aaron Fuller not being there for the for the game. Injuries are are yeah. a big uh, big big great cat here. Richard Duden not being there. Uh, uh, Aaron Fuller, um, Chico McClatcher leaving that game at some point. Uh, just just bummers that um, you know your best players aren't aren't healthy for for a game like that. Yeah, I, I saw a stat uh, a week or two ago that UW and Ole Miss are the only two Power 5 teams to play eight straight weeks to begin the season. Um, so obviously, you know, there's some injuries that have built up over those eight straight weeks. So this bye week is definitely needed. But um, yeah, it's kind of too bad that we, in some respects, got the short end of the stick from a schedule standpoint. Weird. Uh, it seems like it's been never the case happened, for yeah. a while. Yeah, never has happened in the Pac-12. Um, so yeah, that was unfortunate that you couldn't have Fuller, who's been obviously your best wide receiver to date. Um, so yeah, too bad. Okay, geez, of the week I had uh, Terrell Bynum, who you mentioned earlier. Tough catches yeah. from him. He was uh, six catches on six targets for forty-three yards, seventy-one percent success rate uh, on those. So a lot of those being third and fourth down or third down conversions, or getting them the Huskies close to uh, close to the sticks for a, a second down conversion as well. Um, yeah, they, they used him over the middle a lot. Um, it was kind of the, the you know, um, you know not quite stretching the field, but not quite short yardage uh, move with him. Uh, he was a, a, a player that Lauren Kirschman, the Tacoma News Tribune uh, beat writer that I talked to before the season, pointed out specifically, um, hasn't really burst onto the scene, but uh, a nice game from him uh, in, in, a, mm-hmm. in a key moment without Fuller there. Yep. Totally agree. I have uh, I have two this week. Uh, first being the Lou uh, Groza watch update for Peyton Henry. Uh, yes. One for one, 30 yards, four for four and extra points. He's up to 15 for 15 from field goal, 33 from 33 for extra points. And then number two, um, I'm going to take this one upon myself. Uh, we did apple fritter French toast. At our tailgate. So not oh, just my. we did regular French toast, but we also halved apple fritters from Top Pot, dunked them in French toast batter, and then put those puppies on the griddle. And uh, let me just say, pretty life changing moment for me. So uh, that's my second animal. OKG. Wow, that's <laughs> wasn't even my idea. I, I can't take credit as for that idea, but uh, I did make them. So I, I guess that counts for something. Hell yeah. That fires me up right there. That's ingenuity. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Get, run those back one more time for, for the Apple Cup. Keep it thematic. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Didn't didn't talk about Peyton Henry and all this podcast. Um, no, it took a lot of restraint from me, so I'm going to name myself the OKG of the week for, for not talking about him. Um, nice. <laughs> but even, even for his one field goal, the Huskies uh, semi-intentionally got a false start to actually move him five yards back to increase his odds of winning the Lugros Award by uh, extending his <laughs> distance. So uh, genius on that. My last OKG yeah. of the week was Miles Gaskin, who came from off the top rope <laughs> on uh, on Sunday morning to uh, to make, or maybe Saturday night, uh, to make fun of Lars Hansen, the uh, 24-7 beat reporter for, for the Huskies. Rivals. Oh, for Rivals. Yeah, my bad. Um, so Lars Hansen kind of weirdly like assumed that Chris Peterson's surliness to the wildcat question was directed at him and that he tried to give him the death stare, which is just like, dude, you are not the show here. Like you, you have a couple thousand followers on Twitter because you talk about the Huskies, but, um, you know, it's just not that. 
And so Miles Gaskin, after he tweets that, uh, tweets back at him and says, shut your corn ass up. Uh, he, he ain't worried about you, which uh, led to a little back and forth. It was just more weirdness from, from Lars there. But Oh, uh, I didn't see that. Yeah, go check it out. It's interesting. Oh, I will. Uh, Miles Gaskin, uh, a true dog through and through. He's like, man, I don't want to freaking play for the Dolphins tomorrow. I will just engage with, with Husky beat writers instead um i've never heard corn corn ass either so that's been added to the arsenal corn ass yeah yeah <laughs> it made all the sense in the world though it wasn't like <laughs> oh what does that mean it's like yep corn ass i get it you're being a corn ass um so yeah weird week but uh at least we ended on a somewhat funny note there from uh from mg and a welcome bye week to follow as well. Absolutely. Uh, we'll take, uh, I don't know if we'll, we'll hit the pod next week, maybe preview Utah or, or something if something comes up. But uh, this, uh, I'm, I'm feeling better. The the sandwich is digested and, and um, I'm getting this organ game out of my system. Yep. This has been therapeutic. Good. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully uh, we provided you some, some, some pro bono counseling work, uh, listeners. <laughs> thanks for listening. Stanton, thanks for doing this. Uh, go dogs. As always, go docs. Go docs.